Thank you, Quad. Thank you, Mary. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jeremiah 29? Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. In fact, he writes more of any of the other prophets. And uh, it's included in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. That's the major prophets in the Old Testament. It's good for us to get in touch with our background sometimes. And uh, the Old Testament blends into the New Testament. It helps us to understand what God is doing. So sometimes we have a hard time understanding where God is and what he's doing in our life. And sometimes it will happen. We will understand it better by and by. But before I... Before I say something, I want to speak. How about that? Is that a good idea? Uh, in 1968, on June the 7th, uh, Susan and I were married right up here. And uh, so I'm closing in prayer, and we dismiss and go home and everything. <laughs> so God has blessed us with 55 years uh, together. Now, I had a funeral for a guy who uh, he and his wife had three months before uh, they were to celebrate their 50th anniversary. And she was mad at him for the whole time for not getting her to that 50th anniversary. Now, let me ask, how many of you have been married for 50 years or more? Would you stand up? Let's give my hand. Would you do that? Let's stand up. Amen. Thank you, and you're an example in a world that's having problems with marriages. Now, uh, watched a documentary not too long ago on public television about Henry Ford, and he's an amazing kind of man. Uh, he didn't invent the first automobile, but he took it to another level. And most of the automobiles that were being made back then were kind of expensive and big and kind of expensive. But he had this idea of making automobiles for the everyday person, and he wanted to make that for the everyday person. And he invented something called the assembly line. And in the assembly line, there would be a part here and a part here and a part there and got to the end. And he had very specifics about the transmission. The transmission was to come in certain boxes and, and have a certain dimension about it. And they said, oh, man, it's just kind of being being too exact about that. He's kind of over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so they put the assembly line together and they came down to the end and they had no floorboard. And when they had no floorboard, they took the boxes, the transmissions out of the boxes and they put them in. But when they put those boxes in, they were the exact dimensions of the floorboard. And they thought at the end of the assembly line, the old man knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And sometimes we feel, what's God doing? What is he up to? And we wonder, why is this happening? And why isn't this happening? And what's going on? And can I really trust him? And it looks like he's just getting offhand and he doesn't know what he's doing. But I like that song, we'll understand it better, what? By and by. And sometimes the understanding is waiting till one of these days when we'll see 
when it all comes together. But that sometimes has to be waited. And until that time, you and I are to be faithful in the place that God has given us. And that was the kind of place where Jeremiah was. He was faithful in a place that God had given him, although he struggled with God. There are seven different discussions in Jeremiah where he just struggles with God like the psalmist and said, where are you, God, and why is this happening to me? And I thought you would do this, and you're doing this. And so he struggled greatly with God. But he stayed faithful in spite of the hard times in which he lived in. Now, what do you know about Jeremiah? These are things you may know about Jeremiah. Let me just kind of tell you, uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Amen? Do you remember how many of you remember that song? Would you? Okay, yeah. I don't know where you were when you heard that song, and I don't want to know, okay? But Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine, and he always had mighty fine wine, so he had to have been an Episcopalian, amen? He, he was not a Baptist. But uh, that song, group that sung that, and I think I've shared with you before, was Three Dog Night. And Three Dog Night uh, got their name from one of the band members. His, wa- his wife, a girlfriend, was an Australian. And in Australia, uh, there was a term they used for Three Dog Night. That is, if it was a cold night, you slept with one dog. If it was a colder night, you slept with two dogs. If it was a really, really cold night, you did what? What do you think you did? Slept with three dogs. Amen. It was a three-dog night. Well, in the era that Jeremiah lived in, the prophet, it was a three-dog night. It was a cold kind of place to live. And it was cold religion. And what they would do, they would come to church or come to the temple and the synagogue on the Sabbath day, but they would go out and worship all these idols during the rest of the week. And God used Jeremiah to come to him in a hard kind of way. But he struggled with being that kind of hard. Because he had a poor self-image. When you read about it in scripture, he's just... Anybody with a poor self-image always has a hard time with anything else that goes on in life. They struggle with what goes on in life. He always had this kind of negative vision of himself. But in that negative vision of himself, he avoided conflict. That's what uh, people with poor self-images do. They, they try to smooth over everything. So they have a hard time handling conflict. And confrontation is not in their style. They avoid confrontation. They don't want to tell anybody no. You just accept everything. Don't tell it because they're afraid they'll hurt somebody's feelings. But God worked through this man even with his poor self-image. And when they asked the disciples, they said, Jesus said to the disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? Who do the people say I am? And Matthew records it. It says it's Isaiah. Isaiah had a very positive self-image. If you were on the third down and nine yards to go on your own 10-yard line, you'd send Isaiah in, let him be the quarterback, and take it downfield for a touchdown. Or John the Baptist. John the Baptist would welcome people like, who you think you are, you snakes in the grass? And that's, I've asked um, Paul if he could use that as our, 
welcoming people at church, but I don't think it'd go over very good. And in the middle of that, God can use a Jeremiah. And here he gives them hope in the middle of destruction that's coming their way. So in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read for us to just one verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord. I know those thoughts, and I know that plan he has for your life. Saith the Lord, thoughts for peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and an expected end. And for each person in this room today, God has a plan and purpose for your life. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Would you turn with me back to Jeremiah chapter 1? Jeremiah's call uh, to be a prophet. Uh, he was the son of a preacher man. His dad was a prophet. He was from a place called Anathoth. Well, Anathoth is a kind of bedroom community of Jerusalem right outside uh, nine miles outside Jerusalem. His, again, his dad was a prophet. Uh, whenever my son David played uh, baseball for Sanford, every time he'd get up to bat, they would play son of a preacher man, son of a preacher man. <laughs> so he was the son of a preacher man. Maybe his dad was just hard on him. And sometimes it can be too hard. And I remember working out here, we were building the bypass, and there was a young man who was keeping the front end loaders going, and they hired me, I was in between seminary, so they hired me just to pick up the roots on the, on the road, on that bypass. And they'd keep those front end loaders, and they'd drive them hard, and they had a little 18, 18-year-old boy who was one mechanics, and he, they'd break down all the time because they drove them hard. And he'd put them back together and put them back on the road. But there was one that he didn't fix, and it was broken down pretty bad. And the company was in Montgomery, so his dad, who was the chief mechanic, had to come all the way over from Montgomery to fix that front-end loader. And all of us were kind of gathered around while he fixed that front-end loader. And while he was there, he just, I don't know how to call it, but he just dog-cussed his son. I don't know if you've ever been dog-cussed. But it's one thing to be dog-cussed by a lot of people, but it's another coming from your dad. And he told him how sorry he was, but that 18-year-old guy just kept him going. But it was it's a deeper kind of thing. And I felt so bad for him. Because his dad was not so much giving him uh, talk on his behavior. He was reflecting on the kind of person that he was, and he attacked that kind of person that he was. Sometimes when we come out of our families, we have this kind of poor self-image that has been beaten into our lives, and the kind of confidence had been beaten out of Jeremiah's life. But God called him, and he said, you're the person that's here for this situation. So if you have your Bibles, look at Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll do it uh, verse 5, which is a good verse after talks about how even in the womb, a fetus is a person. 
Can I hear an amen for that? Uh, so even before he, while he was in his mother's womb, says in verse five, I formed thee in the womb and I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I had a plan for your life from the beginning. I ordained you as a prophet to all the nations. But here comes that poor self-image in verse six. Oh, but Lord, I'm a mere child. I can't. I don't have the ego that can stand up to that. I can't make it. But God came to him. He gives a, his response. God gives him his call. Then he gives a response. And then God gives him this promise. Verse 7. But the Lord said unto thee, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go where I will send you. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Verse 8 is a very important verse. It says, be not afraid of their faces, if you have the King James Version. And the other version is, don't be afraid of them. But literally that means, be not afraid of their faces. And here's the idea. You can preach, and when you preach, you see the faces that are looking at you. <laughs> some good, and some bad. <laughs> I'm like this, you know. <laughs> I had a little girl had these, you know, eyes that kind of pop out, and uh, she was in the service, and she played those eyes the whole time, and I had a hard time knowing what I was saying next. I kept looking at those eyes. But he looks at those faces for crowd approval. Because when you preach, you look and see what kind of response you're getting. And he wasn't getting a very good response. They didn't like what he said because judgment was coming. God was sending the Chaldeans to come and judge him. Nebuchadnezzar and his group were coming. They were already on their way. And God was sending them to judge the people, to wipe the slave king. He can put up with that kind of ignoring God for so long. And after a while, judgment finds its way. And Jeremiah was his man to bring that kind of judgment. And the Babylonians were kind of cruel and terrible kind of people. But God was going to use them to clean house with the Israelites and start all over again. So when Jeremiah would come and preach, he would preach and say, judgment is coming, judgment's coming. They wouldn't listen to him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. In fact, they threw him in a pit, and I hope you don't throw me in a pit. I hope after I get through preaching, you don't take me out and throw me in the river. But they threw him in a pit. Now, that sends a message when they throw you in a pit. And I heard about a guy who got his wife for her birthday a cemetery plot. <laughs> And so the next year, it came up her birthday again. And he said, what are you going to get me this year? And he said, nothing. He said, why not? And he said, because you haven't used what I gave you last year. <laughs> Sometimes husbands need sensitivity training. Can I hear an amen on that? Okay. They threw him in a pit. He had to deal with disappointment because he loved those people. He really did. 
and he would like to see them change, but they had gotten hardened and would not listen. And when you get hardened and don't listen, then judgment, God's come judgment. It's God's grace to change things. And that's what he does. Now here's some, just want to tell you some kind of assurances that you can count on today. Um, One of the assurances that you and I can count on is this, that whatever God starts, he always finishes. Whatever God starts, he always finishes. More than anybody, Paul said, I know whom I committed unto him against that day, and he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Um, I know that he will take care of me. And there are some times that I may go astray and sometimes I may walk in this way and and get uh, deflected from the direction that God has for me. But some way or another, he'll bring me back. So he's not going to give up on me. And I thank God for the fact that he doesn't give up on me. I wish that my Christian life was like an escalator all the way up, but there have been times when it's been up and down, and I've struggled with God like Jeremiah, and I've struggled with God as to why this happened, and why didn't this happen, and why didn't you answer the prayer that I asked you to answer, and it didn't happen. But God still helped me as I deal with that disappointment. Disappointment. I remember a uh, commercial for... Timex watch and the guy's name was John Cameron Swayze and he'd put it on the back of a motorboat or something and he'd, he'd run it through one and he'd take that watch off and he'd look at that and he says it takes a licking and it keeps on ticking when God starts with you you may take a licking but you will keep on ticking. So one of the assumptions that you and I can hold on to is the fact when God starts with me, he's not going to let me go. A second assumption I think we can hold on to is the fact that when God guides, he provides. When God guides, he provides. And I can supply all your needs according to Christ's riches in Christ Jesus is what Paul said. But here's the question. He is not promised to guide our idea. He will guide his plans. But when we get off track, like Moses, Moses said, I can do this, and I don't need God. I'll run it myself. But it all turned into a disaster. And he had to run away to Midian to hide because that wasn't God's plan. That was his plan. Or Sarah, and Sarah said, Abraham, you take my handmaid and you two make a baby because we evidently cannot make babies. So we're struggling here, but let's, let's do this. This is my plan. And we're still having problems over in the Middle East today because they ran ahead of God, and that wasn't God's hand, uh, plan. That was uh, Abraham and Sarah's plan. So before anything happens, you know, say, God, God, is this your plan? Because I need your help with me to carry out what it is. 
So there's the third thing. Make sure it's God's plan because he will guide his plan, not our plan. I think a third thing is this, that when he breaks us, he can remake us. And that's what's going to happen to Israel. They're going to be broken. And when they're carried off into Babylon, they had to worship all these gods that the Babylonians had. It's like they were crammed down their throat. When they came back to Israel, they never worshipped idols ever again. And out of that group that came back, it began to form the remnants of the church. God broke them in order to remake them. And sometimes it takes that for God to break us. Now remember the story of the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep who kept running off and breaking the fences and running this way and running that way and running away from the shepherd. And so the shepherd took his legs and just broke them. But when he broke them, this is what he did. He carried that sheep on his shoulder. So that when those legs heal, that sheep was always with his shepherd. Sometimes God has to break us to remake us. And if you have your hymnals, would you do that? Uh, hymn number 446. I want us to get there because we've got kind of a crowded agenda today. Hymn number 446 is going to be our hymn of invitation. And if you look at the bottom, um, no, that's, I'm on 406. 446. A hymn is Invitation of Blessed Assurance. If you look at the bottom, you will see who wrote that hymn. Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote over 3,000 hymns. Um, as a little girl, uh, probably less than six weeks old, she had an eye problem, and the doctor put the wrong kind of hot pads on her eye, and she was blinded for the rest of her life. But being blinded and knowing Christ is a good thing. It gives you vision. And she had this great vision about the Lord. And she could write hymns like on a moment's notice. There was a man who wrote the music to that. And uh, you see his name down at the bottom. And he played that tune for her. And he said, what do you think words ought to go to this? And this is what she said. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Now, let me ask you something. We're going to have our invitation. Do you have that kind of assurance? Do you know that you know that you're in God's plan for your life? The Israelites thought they were because they symbolically went to church on Sunday but, or Sabbath, but they went their own way during the rest of the week. And they were headed in the wrong direction, and their hope was based on the fact of them being better than the rest of the people around them. God said, it's a matter of your heart. Have you made me the center of your heart?
Do you have a time in your life where you ask Jesus to come into your life and he has changed your life forever? Now, would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? We go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you need to hear God's voice speaking to you. Maybe it needs to be some idea about God. Here's my plan. No, I want your plan. What's your plans for my life? Maybe there's not been in your time a time that you started with the Lord. Are you sure of that start? Or maybe God has had to break you. But the promise here is that he can remake you. Our invitation is a time for you to come forward in whatever God has placed upon your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?